welcome on to a tuesday night edition of the pod i had hoped that things might get a little bit easier to decipher and to some extent they have uh, but in the east that has not been the case take you through the results uh, real quickly from tonight in the eastern conference philly winning in atlanta 121 113 jj reddick 28 points six of nine from three in that one ursan Ilyasova helping the tank of his old team with 26 points uh, of his own those two guys combined 10 out of 17 from three marco bellinelli also had 20 points in 32 minutes worth watching dario sharich did leave the game with a chipped tooth and a lip laceration very early on don't know yet whether he's going to be able to play tomorrow against milwaukee at home on the second end of the back-to-back imagine that he could get done uh Torian prince 18 three-point attempts for the hawks he was six out of 18 from three nine out of 25 from the field overall that's an insane number of three-pointers from a guy who was not exactly known for his three-point shooting at this point elsewhere in the east indiana blown out at home by charlotte victor oladipo did not play that was smart for indiana to get down to 48 and 34 where they're going to be tied with some other teams instead of to have 49 wins by themselves so they could really improve their draft pick with that loss washington takes care of boston 113 101 john wall four of five from three 12 assists seven rebounds leading washington with 29 points Otto Porter, however, did leave the game with a right lower leg strain. Didn't come out for the start of the second half. No idea what the severity of that is, but Washington does play tomorrow against the Magic, the implications of which we will get to momentarily. And that's all that mattered in the East. So we'll get to some of the other scores that mattered when we talk about the West and the tank race and the rest of the news. So now my attempt to break down the Eastern Conference. This part of it is actually here why don't we start with this what the schedule is for tomorrow the relevant games are toronto already locked into number one but can affect things for miami it's toronto at miami milwaukee is at philadelphia the knicks are at cleveland washington plays at home against orlando and boston's regular season comes to an end at home against brooklyn but neither of those two teams figure into this race boston is locked into number two so let's start with the race for the number three seed between philly and cleveland a philly win or a cleveland loss clinches the number three seed for philly so if philly beats milwaukee they're the three seed if new york somehow beats cleveland in cleveland philly is the three seed otherwise cleveland will be the three seed so you imagine philly will certainly be trying in that game against milwaukee now we get into the really crazy part and this is basically as confusing as vizzini in the battle of wits against wesley in princess bride so for milwaukee we can kind of start with them unclear if Giannis is going to play with that ankle soreness according to matt velasquez of the milwaukee journal sentinel but milwaukee has plenty of incentive to win in theory because if they win they get the sixth seed and they also by getting the sixth seed would keep their draft pick which is protected 11 through 16 it would be 17 so they get to hold on to that for another year and i presume they think they'll be better next year and this year's draft is better than next year's is the perception but by winning milwaukee gets to six but they cause philly almost certainly to fall to four so you win you keep your draft pick but now you have to play cleveland in round one so those incentives are crazy for the bucks and then you throw in two that you know do they want to play Giannis? give him some more rest on that ankle 
really tough to say i mean i some would say hey you know what you're drawing dead in these playoffs anyway so who cares if you play cleveland keeping the draft pick is more important and it just looks better if you get the 60 now yeah okay they can try but you know philly is certainly gonna be favored in that game even without mb maybe even without shards they're just playing so well right now they will be on the second night of a back-to-back though so a lot of really interesting things there now let's stay with the bucks incentives let's say they lose clearly where they want to be is in the seventh seed to face boston that's the weakest out of philly toronto and cleveland boston as we know is locked into the two seed but if they lose there are still ways they could remain sixth although then they would play philly or they could fall to seventh or they could even fall to eighth eighth they would play toronto they probably would still rather play toronto you would imagine than cleveland so certainly it seems like just for their playoff hopes this year losing is the better strategy but then you throw the draft pick into play and that makes it really nebulous so let's say milwaukee loses they get the seven seed which is the juiciest real estate if toronto beats milwaukee or i'm sorry if toronto beats miami in miami and if washington beats orlando let's talk about that toronto miami game now right does toronto want to try in that game they have nothing to play for in terms of their own seating of course with the warriors lost today they've now clinched home court advantage in a potential matchup against the warriors but would they want to manipulate it so that they are most likely to play miami i would say i probably would rather play miami than washington or milwaukee i don't know if they feel that way but they increase their chances of playing miami by winning that game in miami if they don't beat miami then it's going to be either milwaukee or washington that they're going to have to play the only way they play miami is if they beat miami so i think toronto probably going to try in that game and in fact if they don't beat miami they probably get milwaukee because washington is going to play against orlando and worth noting as well that if miami wins that game they now get up to sixth and it depends whether they're going to play philly or cleveland you know that's going to be a little tete-a-tete there as well for miami if it looks like philly is going to lose to milwaukee well actually no i'm sorry that's wrong if miami gets to sixth they have to be playing philly because that would have mean that milwaukee lost to philly there's no way miami gets to sixth unless milwaukee loses to philly so miami definitely has incentive to try and win because if they get to sixth then they have to be playing philly and if they win and washington loses to orlando which seems unlikely but could happen that miami gets that great real estate at seven now what about washington could they screw all this up by intentionally losing to orlando well let's forget first of all no matter what they intend orlando has a crap load of incentive to lose themselves because they are are currently tied with dallas and atlanta for the third seed in the lottery if they win then they're stuck by themselves in fifth so that really reduces their odds if orlando can lose then they just split all of the ping pong balls from three through five equally for the three through five slots last point on the milwaukee pick protection issue if they are tied even if they end up getting a higher seed then there's a drawing to see who will pick lower so the bucks have 44 wins right now heat and wizards both have 43 so if the bucks win they're at 45 they get the 17 pick by themselves they keep the pick for sure if the bucks lose and washington and miami both win all of them are at 44 the tiebreaker in the playoff scenario is a 
irrelevant for the lottery so there's just a drawing between those tied teams so there'd be three teams the bucks would actually be rooting to lose that drawing go up to 17 keep the pick and so if they're tied with miami and washington they would still have a one-third chance of keeping their pick if they're tied with only one of those teams then they would have a 50 percent chance of keeping their pick so losing doesn't mean automatically that they're going to lose that pick so again adding a little bit to the idea that they could have some incentive to lose but it really there's no great answer there so here's my guess of what's going to happen i think philly is going to win they're playing better than milwaukee we don't know if Giannis is going to play not sure what the incentives are for milwaukee so i see philly winning getting the three seed this is just a prediction obviously this could go totally wrong I think Toronto is just a better team than Miami. I don't know, though. I mean, even when you have a little bit of something to play for, it's hard to see whether the motivation comes through. So Miami's incentives here really matter a lot, too. With Philly winning, I see Miami trying to win as well. But Toronto is just better, and I think they'll want to play Miami. And hey, you know what? doesn't hurt to just get to go to Miami as well. And Giannis, if I'm Toronto, Giannis really scares me. Washington's offense can really scare me. They've lost to them before in the playoffs. So I, I think I would really rather play Miami and I would try. So I would barely think Toronto probably wins that game, but it's, it, I think that's a total toss up. And then Washington, they might even try to tank, but I think Orlando is going to try and tank even harder and Orlando has worse players than Washington. And it is worth noting that game is in Orlando. But nonetheless, I so I think Washington, Philly, and Toronto are the teams that would win. And then that would result in Philly 3, Cleveland 4, Indiana locked into 5 already, Washington 6. So if Washington is 6, in this scenario, to get to 6, Milwaukee would have had to have lost to Philly. That means Philly is 3, so you'd have Philly and Washington. Milwaukee 7, they get to play Boston, Miami 8. I think that's what is my best guess, but so many moving parts here that it's pretty difficult to say. All right, so we're going to break this up here. We'll bring in Danny. We recorded this before he left for vacation. Talk about what went wrong, what went right in our preseason predictions right after this from Simple Contacts. I'm lucky enough not to need contact lenses, but my fiance definitely does. And so I told her, hey, you know what? Like, why don't you try this to renew your contacts? So she downloads the app, opens it up, and she's like, hey, you know what? Like, I have to renew my prescription. I can't do this. And I was like, oh, contraire. How do you just take this test? And in under five minutes, this online self-guided vision test, you can renew your prescription. They're actually bringing the doctor's office to your home. And so, yeah, it takes five minutes, but think how much time you spend having to actually go in and renew your prescription and then once you get that prescription you pay 20 bucks for that vision test which obviously is far cheaper than what it would be at the doctor's office they have free shipping their contact lens prices are unbeatable and you can get 30 dollars off your first simple contacts order with simplecontacts.com slash cap space that's a url or enter that familiar cap space code at checkout i'm always a little partial to the cap space code rather than the url it's just the cap space code just rolls off the tongue right the, the alliteration but you could do it whichever your pleasure, simplecontacts.com slash cap space, or go to simplecontacts.com and enter that cap space code at checkout to get $30 off your contacts. Worth noting that their test does 
test your current prescription make sure you can still see 2020 with that and helps you renew that prescription they're not going to write completely new prescriptions and of course you still need to go periodically to get your eye health examined they don't do that but what they do is let you renew your prescription in just five minutes it's fantastic simplecontacts.com slash capspace is that url or enter that capspace code at simplecontacts.com let them know that you came from us so it's that fun time of year where we go back and look at some more of our preseason predictions. We, of course, did our, our over-unders. We did our awards earlier this week. But we wanted to look at the rest of our preseason predictions and see how it is that those are looking. So I talked about uh, where our wins were really on the over-under. But let's start with who we viewed. And obviously, this is not decided yet. Picked as the, the NBA champion. Uh, I had Golden State, as I recall, you did as well. Yes, I had, so let's go conference finalists yeah. through the championship. I had the Warriors winning in five over the Cavs. I had Cleveland facing the Wizards in the conference finals and the Warriors oh, playing man, the, the Rockets. Wizards, huh? Wow. Yeah, I didn't feel good about it, but. Yeah, I had yeah. Cleveland, Boston in the conference finals, Golden State in Houston. And uh, yeah, we'll see how that all turns out. Uh, I'm not sure that, uh, the other question we had was Golden State versus Cleveland or any other matchup as being more likely. I said that Golden State versus Cleveland was was more likely i no longer feel that way although i still if i had to pick the the most likely matchup i think i would go with that but i mean man it's with houston having home court and curry's status up in the air i mean that could go either way for sure yeah i i, I had the same thing i said warriors Cavs then and and both teams you know are, are worse than expectations the warriors due to injuries the Cavs due to everything that happened to them this season but i would say the Cavs are now the, the they're the favorites they're not the miles and miles and miles away favorite but they are absolutely the favorite in the eastern conference most valuable player and this is what we who we thought would deserve it not who would win it i had i went with the top eight actually so here it is i had Giannis at number eight he's uh, ended up finishing fourth uh, on my ballot that we did the other day ad at seven he ended up at third russell westbrook was nowhere close to my ballot james harden was my winner he was fifth katie and steph at four and three they uh both were just too injured to be on here and then Kawhi was two i think this is when we knew that he might miss the start of the regular season just barely uh because <laughs> he's uh missed a little bit more than that and then i had lebron at number one and my thought was that if the Cavs could get into the high 50s which i didn't predict but i thought was possible then lebron would win it just as kind of a lifetime achievement award but didn't anticipate that harden and the rockets would be this good and that the Cavs would be as bad as they have been even if they have come on lately my list was five guys and only one of those five made my ballot at the end of the year a lot of that was due to injury Durant was five, Westbrook four, LeBron three, Curry two, Kawhi one. Curry would have been in my top five had he stayed more healthy. Durant could have. It would have been kind of on the margin. Giannis and AD had really good years. I don't. I don't think he would have. If made he'd it, stayed healthy sure. all year, I, mean, I might have had him over Lillard as my number five this year. Yeah, but but if but if Steph had stayed healthy, you would have had him That's over true. Durant. Yeah. So um, Steph probably would have been second to me if he'd stayed healthy all year and played it at the same level. But the reason I had Harden lower was simply that. I thought he might take a little bit of a step back performance wise you know i think this is his age 29 season but also we just thought he would be splitting so much with chris ball and i think for both the narrative and the hierarchy there it was fortuitous for his candidacy that paul basically missed the first like month of the season after just playing that one game against the warriors um so that really got him on the right track and he was the clear alpha there even more than we might have thought that he would be uh, i mean 36 percent usage i didn't expect that he that's basically where he was at last year so i didn't expect 
that that would remain the same and then i didn't think just that houston would be as good of a team as they have been i thought they'd be very good certainly but uh, i didn't think they'd be quite this good we can jump to coach of the year and i'm surprised at who i had and it ended up looking a lot better than than i anticipated so i had greg popovich number one brad stevens number two mike d'antoni number three yeah and this was for me the coaches that deserved it i had uh and i thought that greg popovich and steve kerr the two best coaches in the nba i think the warriors effort level is disappointed some this year kerr has been hamstrung to some degree by just the lack of overall shooting on the roster hasn't really been anything he could do about that but he hasn't been in the conversation at all this year even for me who who thinks that this should kind of be more about who the best coach is rather than just whose team surprised the most uh so popovich was ended up being my number four and then i also had a list of who i thought would win it and i think i actually had quinn snyder at number two stevens was not in the discussion really because we thought that actually boston wasn't going to hit their over under and they were going to disappoint and they didn't hit their over under but because of the injuries they sure as hell didn't disappoint so uh you know i think stevens will win it he would be my pick as well snyder was my number two so uh i liked eric spolstra to be higher um doc rivers who we probably didn't even talk enough about on our awards podcast he was pretty good and then uh frank vogel if the magic make the playoffs was a note that i had <laughs> hey if they had made the playoffs he certainly could have <laughs> well i mean and remember what we were thinking at the time was hey the east eighth seed i had predicted the pistons 39 wins were going to get the eighth seed the magic were a team that and, and actually you know if the magic had been healthy all year they might have approached the high 30s and if that had been the number that would have been needed maybe they could have gotten it i mean a lot of would have had to go right obviously for me and that is a pretty laughable prediction but i i stand by or i won't stand by it but i'll at least defend what the thinking was to have him on there i believe that first coach fired is the quickest i have ever had a season prediction correct <laughs> and that is earl watson and earl watson was fired three, what was that three games two games three, four, games, three games so that was pretty satisfying the guys i had as other contenders none of them got fired gentry hornacek and frank vogel though two of those three could very well be looking for new jobs as friend of the podcast mark stein talked about a week ago i had picked alvin gentry i thought that the pels were going to disappoint this year uh that didn't turn out to be the case he looks to, to be quite safe there earl watson was my number two so i feel better about that but not as good as you uh jason kidd i had on there he did get fired during the season brett brown i thought you know not even that i thought he was a bad coach but i felt like the sixers could disappoint and that he wasn't really the colangelo's man and so if they did disappoint they'd kind of be looking for an excuse to get him out of there he obviously in the coach of the year conversation was great fred hoiberg uh you know i think actually has done an okay job until he started uh taking on the, the uh tank commander role stan van gundy i noted might be stripped of his personnel powers and then uh yeah some of the other ones vogel hornacek they're probably going to be gone nate mcmillan certainly not going to be gone mike malone maybe will be we'll see what ends up happening with him defensive player of the year and again deserves rather than will win my logic first of all i think Kawhi is a fabulous defensive player when he's healthy and i actually thought that the mvp and defensive player of the year cases would kind of be simpatico that the, he would be so valuable in that way that it would would, would help and as much as it shouldn't offensive players end up getting more buzz for defensive player of the year i had draymond second who was the reigning defensive player of the year and then gobert third gobert ended up a playing more than Kawhi and b having a substantially better defensive season than draymond who was below my expectations yeah year. i think we were all pretty much on the same pitch I, i'd gobert at number one draymond to Kawhi three and joel Embiid as four uh if he played enough and it's my pick ended up being gobert one Embiid two and one of those two guys it feels nearly certain to win it 
Uh, sixth man in terms of who would deserve it I had Andre Iguodala though I noted that he could take a step back this year and that certainly Iguodala had been my pick the last two seasons that certainly was the case he wasn't in the conversation this year uh, number two was Eric Gordon for me uh, kind of in the conversation Nerlens Noel <laughs> well for that like two week stretch <laughs> oh by the way do you want to address this just batshit insane argument that the Mavs somehow like intentionally tanked Nerlens Noel's value as a shot across the bow to any other potential restricted free agent in their system to never take a qualifying offer again? Sure. The single stupidest part of a stupid argument is the fact that Dallas didn't know they were going to be out of the playoffs until much later in the season. And the reason Nerlens Noel fell out of the rotation was because he wasn't good. He was certainly talented, and you could make an argument that the the long-term play would have been to, to keep him out there but noel just hadn't brought it they've been big struggles offensively defensively hadn't been as crisp and as active as he ended up being later in the season and the incentives just completely weren't in place they were not like the bulls and the hawks let's say who everybody pretty much knew they were going to be bad dallas if they had had a better record in close games could have been really competitive and also you know solid measure let's say he played with a lot more fire and the mavericks played significantly better when measure was on the floor in those early stretches than they did with Noel and they gave Noel a full shot I think it was the first month of the year he was playing at least 15 to 20 minutes in almost every game yeah I think he had a negative 18 net rating before he went under the knife with with this thumb surgery and they've gone out of their way to be incredibly effusive about him publicly it was certainly in their interest that he actually be good and be good enough to sign it and I mean wow look at all these like awesome guys on rookie scale contracts with uh, restricted free agency negotiations negotiations coming up wow i mean all right fine they traded for doug mcdermott but uh i don't think they saw that in the plans uh, i'm sure dennis smith is going to be quaking in his boots three years from now because of what they did to nerlens i mean so this idea that number one all of these people are going to be these agents are going to be like oh yeah remember what they did to nerlens noel when he took the qualifying offer we can't take the qualifying offer uh that's ridiculous that like the people are going to be focusing in on that four years from now when dennis smith's a restricted free agent number two the guy sucked I mean, like, he was terrible. I'm sorry they didn't want to play someone who was terrible. Like, that that's the biggest flaw in the argument. It's just, it's really just, like, I'm very much pro-labor. Don't worry. Like, I don't like restricted free agency. I'm on the side of the players in most of these disputes. But you just have to be seeing the situation through such a preconceived notion to come up with this argument. It's just unbelievable to me. Like, that's, and to make, like, the reason I'm so worked up on it is not only because it's so stupid, but it's so stupid and you're using it to like attack people for like doing something mean and unfair in the organization yeah i know the mavs aren't the most popular organization in basketball right now but i mean come on like if you're gonna go after someone's reputation about something like that like how about you actually have just a little bit of ammo to back it up well i'll, I'll go through my six man of the year as, <laughs> yeah. a, as a super fun transition from that i had eric gordon number one lou williams two tyreek three andre guadalla four and it, w- it was probably a little bit closer to yours but again same basic through line yeah and for me I had Lou number four. I did note that I thought it would be Lou Williams. I just didn't think it would be as effective. Um, and as it turned out, he easily deserved it as well. And and I would be beyond shocked if he didn't win it. Wow, rookie of the year is probably like the most embarrassing failure of any of these, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. For me, not get, having four of the five MVP guys on the ballot was pretty bad. But uh, though that was a lot of injury based, and this was not injury based.
based. I thought it was a two-man race between Lonzo Ball and Dennis Smith. I was completely convinced of it, partially because of their counting stats, and also I thought those guys could put it together, worried about Smith's defense, and also because we had so much uncertainty with Ben Simmons, who I had third. We disagreed on the awards podcast on who should win it. I said Ben Simmons, you said Jamal Murray. Wait, no, no, no. I feel I'm right. Not Jamal Murray. The other, Donovan Mitchell. I have Jamal Murray on the brain for the next question. But but I also think Ben Simmons is going to win. Not that that matters because we're predicting who's going to deserve it. But yeah, not seeing Mitchell coming, even though he had a good summer league. You know, I I don't know where he would have been if I had extended out this ballot, but he certainly would have been lower than he deserved. Yeah, I did a top six and Mitchell was nowhere on there. At this time, I was thinking that Mitchell was going to be, you know, he wasn't even supposed to be starting at the very beginning of the year. You know, that was going to be Rodney Hood and Ricky Rubio were going to be starting this team, right? And yeah, he certainly was able to wedge his way in, in part because I think there are some early injuries there. But I was looking at him as, you know, kind of a three and D guy, right? I mean, based on his statistical performance at Louisville and the fact that he seemed like a pretty good shooter, but, you know, not someone that you looked at as like really some advanced ball handler who's going to get to the basket and he's going to play good D. And, uh, you know, Mike Schmitz, David Locke, you guys were right. I was wrong. Smith got the opportunity that we thought he would. Just the Mavs were worse than we thought they would be. And he wasn't, he was so inefficient that, you know, but really I think a big part of it too was that he was just passed by other guys. And then Simmons didn't think he'd be good defensively. That was not the case. I mean, he's made probably more of an improvement of any player that I can ever remember seeing from their last year in college to their rookie year. Probably helped by the fact that he spent a whole year on the sidelines and being in an NBA system and watching games and just understanding he's a smart player. Um, I didn't think he would be a good finisher around the rim. That's not been the case as well either. You know, he really has improved that aspect also. And uh, the way he's pushed the ball has been incredible. And, and the Sixers have been great this year too. So either of those guys, and then Ball, the shooting struggles were just so bad. I mean, we knew he was going to start from day one he's also had a, a lot of injury issues and uh De'Aaron Fox and Markel Fultz were in there Fox has been basically just as inefficient as Smith was Fultz uh, and uh and Kyle Kuzma sixth at least he ended up being fourth on my ballot so I was not too far off there uh Simmons was third for me but yeah that was uh one of the worst jobs that we've ever done with that I think yeah probably up there and for w- what award that we like doing for this is sophomore of the year and we deliberately excluded Joel Embiid from this considering how how great he looked and also remember Joel Embiid's health was it was an issue and I predicted Jamal Murray and he's certainly in the conversation here it's actually pretty hard to pick a single guy but if I were to say who I think is the best player I think I probably had even had Jamal top top of the remaining guys no I didn't in prospect ranking so I'm still gonna go with Jamal Murray yeah my four were Jamal Murray Malcolm Brogdon Jalen Braun and Brandon Ingram and Brogdon has missed a bunch of time this year and you know I don't want to say he took a step back but he was supplanted as the starting point guard by Bledsoe got yanked around a ton by Kidd as well so um I would say it's probably Murray too. I mean, Murray is probably a top 15. And remember, this is a really bad rookie class last year other than Embiid. So Murray's probably a top 15 offensive point guard right now, top 20. Jalen Brown would be number two, really contributing at close to an all-defense level. His shooting has really, really come along as well. But Murray, probably the best, uh, certainly offensively at this point. And uh, I think I feel the best about his career going forward of any of those guys in who were rookies last year 
outside of Embiid. Most improved player is the only one where I separated out predictions and deserves. I'm not going to go through the predictions, partially because I listed off eight guys and partially because none of those eight were anywhere close to my ballot. Uh, for deserves, it was an interesting group. I, I chose Carl Anthony Towns, Jamal Murray, and Miles Turner. Murray and Turner, I think, really have improved this year. Turner has come on a little bit late. He dealt with that concussion and a few other weird things early in the year. Murray has improved as we expected with the second year guy. And then Towns, remarkable offensive player, but just he hasn't made the strides defensively over the season that I hoped he would. I at least had Victor Oladipo on my list of potential candidates, which was nice. He obviously uh, is would be a shocker to not win this award. Certainly deserved it for us. Uh, Thon Maker probably didn't deserve to be anywhere near this list. Alfred Payton probably didn't deserve to be anywhere near this list. I had picked D'Angelo Russell. I think he's had a disappointing year, both due to the injuries and just overall inefficiency and how bad they've been when he's been on the floor. I also mentioned Kristaps Porzingis, who certainly would have been in the conversation at least early in the year, uh, and then obviously got hurt, so that was no longer the case um the player who most beat regression aka the lebron james award will again be won by lebron james and we predicted it that's <laughs> one we didn't do in the award show partially because it has basically been retired and um, i predicted the runner-up being chris paul i think he would be my runner-up and then the other guy who i think deserves a lot of praise this was his age 32 season lamarcus aldridge has had a really wonderful year improved defensively and his offensive game not regressing actually improving off of what he did last season is yeah I'm glad that you mentioned him. Uh, So our thought for biggest surprise team... I thought that it would technically be Minnesota just because they won the most games compared to where they were last year. And I think, are they going to have the biggest improvement compared to last year? I think it's the Sixers. Yeah, you're right. Because the Sixers, what, were 27 last year and Minnesota was 31. Yeah, I think that's right. I also thought that in terms of like what most people were going to project, I thought Miami might be it, but that's not been the case. It's been right around, I think, where people projected just slightly better. Denver as well, I thought would be better than a lot of people thought, but, um, you know, that hasn't the case i thought that denver had like a lot of upside if Millsap played all year and could really improve the defense and they maintained that number one level of offense that they had which is th- their offense is disappointed a little bit this year uh who did you have as your biggest surprise team like you did i separated out from the popular popular interpretations and then for us and i thought denver and utah for most people would exceed expectations by the most i would say that has been tr- pretty good for utah i mean they're not the single most but they're in that conversation i mean being 47 I mean, they might be, they might end up being the four seed. That's pretty awesome. And Denver, if they had, especially if they had stayed healthy, they would have been, been right in that mix. And then the one I got really wrong was for us, because we were both lower on them. I thought there was a chance that Atlanta could exceed expectations on this idea that I talked about in the over under podcast, that they would stay competitive. Hawks University could produce some new pupils and that didn't happen at all. Yeah. And the actual most surprising team, Indiana is going to beat their over under by the most this year. And I also had, Boston, although no one could have predicted all the weird twists and turns that it's taken for them to, you know, just looking at their number of wins on the surface, we would have thought that'd be kind of right about where they were. But then Hayward went down and Irving has missed all this time. And they've had a lot, a lot of injury issues smart as well. Um, most disappointing team, I at least acknowledged Memphis, uh, even though I thought that Memphis would be good. I acknowledged that they had a very decent chance of regressing. I think I had picked them for 42 wins in the eighth seed. And they, of course, came nowhere near there but i at least acknowledged that that was they had a, a bunch of downside boston we thought would be disappointing that was terrible uh milwaukee 
was a pick for most disappointing they uh were actually my second most disappointing team and i thought cleveland was going to be pretty good this year i thought their defense would be much improved they were my most disappointing team um but there weren't other than injury related there were not that many disappointing teams ultimately this year i would agree with that the two that i picked preseason were orlando and memphis you could make an argument relative to expectations that they did though i think injuries were such a big explanation for both of those that it's different the one that i got really wrong was saying that over expectations that philly would be the biggest disappointment just that over under was just so striking to me i'm like oh man they're they're not going to be that kind of team and i didn't think Embiid was going to stay as healthy as he did all all of those sorts of things so that one that one i definitely got wrong and then a team i put a question mark around was the lakers and i would say the lakers come out of this season feeling better about where they are than i expected but their win total is not that far off of what i expected yeah i had picked philly as well as most disappointing just because we thought that over under a 42 and a half based on their health this was one season where betting against teams based on health who had track records of not being healthy didn't really work out that well uh maybe you could say memphis we should have but we didn't but we bet against the clippers in some ways I thought that they would really disappoint due to injuries and they had all the probably worse injuries than we would have expected them to have if anything and they still were as good or better than expected and Philly was another one that we bet against mostly because of injuries and they were better than expected as well both in health and then just in the quality of the individual players also uh most disappointing player I mean I had a very extensive list here um and I think it's just interesting to go through it and see like how many of these we actually hit on um but uh, I'll let you start that off I only had one guy and it was Andre Drummond and he had some really nice flashes this year. There were some times that I was really impressed with his defense and offensively his passing especially was steps. So he certainly is not in this conversation, but I understand why I picked him. You know, I, I, he always seemed like somebody, I think that people after that rookie year, when he was so good, so young, it was the idea that he was on a trajectory. And I still feel like that trajectory was, was overstated for him, but he's had a better year than I anticipated. So kudos. So here's my list. I guess I'm really a negative person apparently um and i guess i really am negative because we didn't even say biggest surprise players the category wants to do that after this uh well i i i, I thought that kind of coincided okay. with most improved that's the way that i really thought about it so i didn't actually fill in anything for that but if you did it then yeah yeah i had josh richardson d'angelo russell aaron gordon and Derek favors in that but you know i don't think any of those were really great hits aaron gordon the way he started off the year i was looking pretty smart um and favors has had a bounce back year though he hasn't he's probably had an underrated year but he hasn't reached the level level of being you know close to kind of a thought of as a top 40 top 30 player the way he was back when he was healthy and Richardson uh he's been pretty good for sure I mean I think he's he's been uh but I don't know if he's like shocked people necessarily but most disappointing here's my list and I think if I remember correctly this was kind of in order number one was Dwayne Wade I would say that I got that one pretty good considering he just got traded away from Cleveland to Miami for nothing and when he was on the team they were just so bad defensively and he and had a terrible culture and he was a big part of that yeah i'd count that as markel fultz yeah you know uh, <laughs> i mean despite the fact that he's looked decent ish i mean you know not being able to even attempt a three-pointer yeah i'd say that's kind of disappointing oh he did attempt a three-pointer the other day against detroit uh when there was one second left in, the, in the quarter um reggie jackson actually played a little bit better than i thought he might but then got injured again uh i also had victor oladipo as a potential most 
most disappointing player even though i also had him as a most improved candidate um which i mean that's i think that's fair to acknowledge that things could go either way that obviously was wrong uh blake griffin i would say he would you say he's in there is that a fair to to put him on that yeah i i think that would be fair it, it's also crazy because he's probably most disappointing player to pistons fans just because the way that season turned out yeah and he also but, got hurt for a know. month as well mm-hmm. um yeah back when it looked like the clipper season was done remember that yeah uh andrew wiggins was on the list he was your pick for most disappointing player though i argued against that the guy who i ended up picking carmelo anthony did not actually show up on this um drew holiday i picked that that was unfair he had that huge contract but he has pretty much lived up to that this season um yeah really nice year for him. porzingis i thought maybe could disappoint with mellow and i mean he's disappointed with the acl tear but he, he certainly played well two that i will say that i got right is george hill and zach randolph shockingly enough they did not push the kings toward playoff contention yeah and since this was recorded at long after the overrunners i was on board with you there because this was recorded mid-october and by that point i turned on the kings stanley johnson another really disappointing year shooting the ball been in and out of the starting lineup probably has played more than he's deserved frankly due to a lack of other options there and then nicola batum hasn't been horrible um we knew that he i think at this point that he had that elbow injury so that was part of the reason but he's just been one of the, one of these guys with the hornets who's played just a little bit worse than you might have hoped and that's why they're out of the playoffs for executive of the year i predicted sam presti would both deserve it and receive it he will do neither though the paul george trade you know they still did get paul george that looks very different now the mellow trade looks very different now and i am happy that they were willing to pay the ownership was willing to pay the luxury tax but yeah he was not in not in that mix with the way things turned yeah i had presti as well as my number one i had tom thibodeau as my number two and he still deserved to be in this conversation for me for getting butler although as you noted it and convinced me he probably should be at the lower end of the conversation if not in at all in part because of that max extension for wiggins and some of the supporting moves and then kobe altman who i thought did really well in really tough circumstances and i still stand by that with the kyrie irving trade especially with it coming out that he threatened to have a surgery and sit out the season which maybe he would have done maybe he wouldn't have but he apparently needed a surgery it's been clear now with him out for the season uh and he had to have that tension wire removed that was bothering him so those are the only three i mentioned we both agree on Daryl Morey and Dennis Lindsay I think was my number two Danny Ainge who we had thought didn't do a good job with that uh, Kyrie trade and the Tatum trade you know those both are looking not as rosy as right at the start of the year but still pretty good so those would be the ones that were in there we totally missed on that I would say yep I think that's any uh, overall takeaways before we depart on this this was such a strange year in terms of injuries like because certain guys that we were really worried about like Joel Embiid stayed pretty healthy other than getting hit in the face by Markel Fultz's shoulder and Kawhi we knew there was something but that becoming a much bigger the Warriors guys being hurt a lot but I don't know I I I was very satisfied with this year and I think what I'm most happy with was that there were more in a lot of ways there were more positive stories than negative stories like Victor Oladipo is just such a wonderful part of this season and the way that he is really driving the Pacers to it and a lot of the other teams you know like for example Denver I think Denver had a good Denver's had a good season they would have been better if Millsap had stayed healthy and you know all, all those kind of things like i think there were more surprises than disappointments this year yeah well and then you just look at the way the league is with a, a record 18 teams over 500 it, it, that's part of why the, that's been the case right and, and then and even the teams that have disappointed pretty much all of them have managed to stay afloat much more than we thought they would other than memphis i mean that's been the one that's really been just totally taken out of it by injuries other than that i mean the only other really dis- 
disappointing team you'd say that's going to not make the playoffs is charlotte i would say and, and even detroit yeah they're going to not make the playoffs they had hoped to they had a promising start to the season but i mean they're going to win right around the number of games that i predicted for them too and right around where their over under was so it's uh yeah i mean there haven't been that many teams that really have just been like oh god this has been awful um you know i think yeah other than the teams that we knew were going to be like that in the first place like the suns and the hawks and the kings those sorts of things yeah maybe a lesson and we talked about this a little bit on over under is and maybe this will change with the different lottery incentives next year is if a team is going to be good pick it's over especially if it's kind of in the mid-tier gonna you think you're gonna be in playoff contention and then if you think they're not gonna be in playoff contention pick the under because they will uh, do their damnedest to make sure they hit that um but this has been an unprecedented year in terms of the tanking in terms of the tanking eight all being around the same number of wins and so there was really a lot of benefits that could be gained you know you could the bulls if they had won a few fewer games like could be up in the top three they're probably gonna be like eight or nine so there's that was a rarity as well this year you know you're not gonna have that every year you'll have teams you're like, yeah okay maybe we can tank and pick up a spot or two but the incentives for tanking were so much greater this year because everyone was bunched up you know starting like mid-february or so yeah and in some ways that was also attributable to the kings and the suns in that early stretch having more yeah. wins than their expected total due to the record so that helped bunch everybody up because if they had played to their record then they would have been a mile ahead of everybody else yes ahead uh and dallas in the opposite vein playing so much worse than their point differential added another team in the porzingis injury added the knicks into the mix as well the bulls playing better in like that december spot I and mean, the bulls would have been you know a 15 win team if they'd played the way they'd played for the first month of the season all year all right so that'll do it for this segment i'm going to come back do the west playoff picture and the end of the tank race as well but first this from lendingclub.com with its unexpected repairs medical expenses credit card debt a little money can make a big difference they give you access to low rates on loans of up to forty thousand dollars for almost any purpose if you want to take control of your debt make home improvements i had credit card debt when i was younger i would have loved to have had lending club uh, available the way you get started with them is you go to lendingclub.com enter the amount of money you need and see if you're approved in minutes pick the offer that's right for you and the money can be in your account in just days they've helped millions of people with over 31 billion dollars in loans for more than 10 years it's much easier than going to a bank and they offer lower rates than high interest credit cards again that's consolidating that credit card debt at an actual reasonable rate is a great way to use lendingclub.com and of course what you want to do is use that slash cat space url lendingclub.com slash cap space check your rate for free checking your rate won't impact your credit score that's lendingclub.com slash cat space easy to remember because we talk about cat space all the time on the program lendingclub.com slash cap space all loans made by web bank member fdic equal housing lender all right here we go the western conference first we'll, we'll catch you up on tonight's results the jazz completely destroyed the warriors by 40 even though the warriors played their guys to some degree they got killed when they were playing their guys 119 79 clay thompson hilariously went 9 out of 27 playing 35 minutes and was negative 40 because he wanted to score over 20 points and get to a 20 point per game average he finally got 23 points and was subbed out in the fourth quarter with them down by 40 for the jazz donovan mitchell extremely efficient 22 points 8 of 12 from the field 
and plus 37 in that win nobody for the jazz had to play more than 28 minutes big for them with them going on the road to portland tomorrow night so that was the only game that mattered for the playoff race however the suns did beat the mavs 124 to 97 and you'll recall that the suns had already clinched the worst spot in the lottery the mavs needed to lose to preserve that tie for third they had a disastrous 54 to 44 lead at the half but that was solved by playing aaron harrison all 48 minutes (laughs) and cal collinsworth 44 minutes neither of those two gentlemen by the way is a point guard they played yogi ferrell only seven minutes even doug mcdermott was deemed too good to play in this one jonathan motley led the mavs in shots he had 21 points on 19 shots and they also played jalen jones 35 minutes jorian finney smith 41 minutes and the fatigue and the fact that the suns had nothing to lose for allowed the suns to outscore the mavs 80 to 43 in the second half and for the suns uh alec peters had 36 points on 8 of 13 from three off the bench josh jackson and devin booker of course uh, did not play in this one alan williams didn't play each team only played eight guys really i i did not watch this game i would love to go back and see if not only were the Mavs playing bad guys but were they like actively trying to lose at the end or not so that's what we've got now it's just worth discussing where the standings are Houston and Golden State are currently one and two the Jazz and Blazers have 48 and 33 records they're three and four as of now the New Orleans San Antonio and OKC all of whom have clinched are tied at 47 and 34 the Wolves and Nuggets are 46 and 35. So now let's talk about tomorrow's games. Worth noting that both in, in the East and the West, every game starts at either 8 Eastern or at 10:30 Eastern. And the only 10:30 Eastern game that matters is Jazz Blazers, and both those teams will be trying to win regardless. You would imagine, especially with Golden State looking so bad in the two seed lately, they'd probably want to play them rather than Houston. Even if Steph Curry might be back, you probably won't be 100%. So I'd probably be angling, certainly, to play Golden State over Houston in the second round. But a long way to go for that. So there's that Utah-Portland game. Denver-Minnesota, obviously, is the play-in game there. San Antonio and New Orleans in New Orleans. That Denver-Minnesota game is in Minnesota, by the way. And then Memphis at OKC. All of the teams have clinched the playoffs, as you know, except Denver and Minnesota. So let's start with that game. Loser goes home. That's only happened twice before in NBA history. In 1995, which is the year after Denver pulled that miracle run from the 8th seed, they again got the 8th seed by beating Sacramento. And then in 1997, Washington beat Cleveland. That was the Chris Webber team that lost to the Bulls in a hard-fought first-round series. So here's what happens if Denver wins. Ironically enough, even though they're playing for their playoff lives, they can't be eighth because San Antonio and New Orleans play each other. So one of those teams is only going to have 47 wins, as will Denver. And Denver has the tiebreaker over both of those teams. So if Denver wins, the New Orleans-San Antonio loser gets the eighth seed and has to play Houston in the first round. So again, plenty of motivation in that New Orleans-San Antonio game as well. If Minnesota wins, they're only going to be eighth. And I guess I I should go back really quickly here. 
and say that all these uh, scenarios assume that OKC is going to beat Memphis and we'll talk more about that in a second uh there's a lot of reason to believe that OKC is going to do that uh so if Minnesota wins they're the eighth seed unless New Orleans loses at home to San Antonio Minnesota has the tiebreaker over New Orleans so that would make Minnesota seven New Orleans eight let's go now to the New Orleans San Antonio loser New Orleans is going to be eighth for sure if they lose and have to play Houston San Antonio will be eighth if they lose and Denver wins they will be seventh if they lose and Minnesota wins so again that New Orleans San Antonio loser is going to be either seventh or eighth and have to play Golden State or Houston and especially Houston is so deadly there now let's turn to Utah and Portland Utah is the third seed if they win and we do have one matchup now that is all but guaranteed we just don't know what seeds they're going to be and that's Utah playing against Oklahoma City and you might say oh well hey wait a minute like Utah is playing really well OKC is another good team wouldn't OKC want to try and avoid them well uh, by losing to memphis no probably not because if okc loses they are guaranteed to be eighth and they'd have to play houston and they sure as hell don't want to do that so okc is going to be trying in that game also memphis is not playing mark soul tyreek evans jermichael green chandler parsons Jarrell martin wayne Tilden, andrew harrison and of course mike conley is also out for the season so it's going to be in all likelihood Utah or OKC. If Utah wins, that's the 3-6 series. Kind of too bad that those two are playing each other because I think like those are the two best teams from three and below. But, uh, you know, so it would be nice maybe if both of those could make it to the second round. But on the other hand, we're guaranteed, I think, an awesome series with a lot of talent on the floor. If Utah loses to Portland... That makes OKC the fourth seed, Utah the fifth seed. So OKC would have home court advantage if Utah loses, and they would be in the Houston side of the bracket at the 4-5. If Utah wins, it's the 3-6, and Utah has home court. So plenty of motivation for Utah in that Portland game to get three, have home court advantage, and they've played really well against the Warriors this year and have not played well as well against Houston so a ton of motivation for Utah for OKC the only options are that they could be fourth or sixth playing Utah or they would be eighth if they lost to Memphis which they are not going to do let's say Utah wins so their Utah wins their three OKC is six in that scenario Portland is four and that would make the winner of New Orleans and San Antonio five the highest the winner of New Orleans San Antonio can get is five and that is if Utah wins if Utah loses they're the fifth seed the winner of New Orleans San Antonio is sixth so I guess we'll game it out again what do we think is going to happen I don't like the way Portland is playing lately I think Utah is going to win that game especially they got some decent rest and I didn't have to play that hard against Golden State so I think Utah is going to be three again a lot of this can change that makes Portland four. Seems like New Orleans playing at home. They've been on fire lately. I think New Orleans gets five. Six is OKC in that scenario. And then San Antonio really rooting for Minnesota to win because San Antonio is the tiebreaker over Minnesota. They don't have it over Denver. I'm guessing Minnesota playing at home has to be the favorite over Denver, although obviously Denver's been playing really well lately. We don't know what the minute situation is going to be for Jimmy Butler. Tibbs talked about it before their game against memphis on monday as a guideline and, and declined to specify what that guideline was but I mean, if they're down you have to imagine that jimmy butler they're not exactly going to show a ton of restraint with him so let me try and wrap that up one more time 
if denver wins they're seventh if minnesota wins they're eighth unless new orleans loses to san antonio at home that means minnesota would be seventh neither of those teams can be higher than seventh assuming of course this is all based on okc beating memphis new orleans san antonio new orleans is eighth for sure if they lose san antonio is eighth if denver wins seventh if minnesota wins utah is three if they win five if they lose okc is four if utah loses and utah okc would be the four five if utah wins okc is six and utah okc would be three six portland is three if they win four if they lose to utah and the winner of new orleans san antonio the highest they can get is fifth they are fifth if utah wins if utah loses utah is fifth and the winner of new orleans san antonio is sixth (sighs) all right let's talk the tank race now phoenix and memphis locked into one and two seeds orlando we mentioned they have to lose uh, to get that tie for third otherwise they're fifth sacramento plays the rockets at home you have to imagine that tonight especially with luke and Mute having suffered another shoulder dislocation of unknown severity on a dunk attempt against the lakers in a meaningless game the rockets played their guys tonight i'm guessing nobody is going to play for them so sacramento could very easily end up winning that game and if they do this is the last year they have their pick because 2019 is going to either boston or philly they could end up in a tie for seventh with the bulls who are playing at the pistons sacramento right now at 26 wins so they cannot get any higher than sixth. They'll either be sixth or tied for sixth. I should have said tied for sixth, depending on what happens in Chicago. If Sacramento wins and Chicago loses at Detroit, they'd both have 27 wins and be tied for sixth. New York and Brooklyn right now are tied at 28 wins. New York is almost certainly going to lose at Cleveland. Brooklyn, interestingly, plays at Boston who of course traded that Brooklyn pick to Cleveland, Boston might have some incentive to lose both to reduce the value of the their competitors pick Cleveland and also help the optics. Not sure whether that's going to actually add up that much or not. And Brooklyn has been trying lately. They've actually won three straight and are five and five in their last 10. So here's guessing that Brooklyn probably beats Boston in Boston tomorrow, ends up the nine seed in the lottery. The Lakers have clinched 10th by virtue of their loss today to Houston. That pick will go to Philly. Charlotte has clinched 11th. Their victory over the Pacers tonight was costly. They could have been tied for 10th. Detroit, that pick will go to the Clippers, will be 12 seed. Clippers themselves, 13th. So in all likelihood, the Clippers will have 12 and 13. And then number 14 will be the Denver-Minnesota loser. Also very interesting, if you are a Hawks fan, you should be rooting for Minnesota to lose tomorrow because that would bump your pick up from a tie for 18th and could potentially be even lower than that to 14th so you remember the adrian Payne trade is how minnesota has oh wait actually no i'm sorry that is totally wrong if you are a hawks fan you're actually rooting for minnesota to win because that pick is lotto protected so uh i'd forgotten about that that the the pain trade we just all assumed minnesota would be in the playoffs by now so you're actually rooting for minnesota to win as a hawks fan i apologize and then also noteworthy we mentioned the little tankathon aspects of milwaukee trying to keep their pick in concert with the playoff seating well phoenix has an interesting view because they have both milwaukee's pick if milwaukee is worse than 17th and they have miami's pick which is one through seven protected that's going regardless miami is in the playoffs so if you are a phoenix fan you are rooting for milwaukee 
to win and i'm sorry you are rooting for milwaukee to lose and miami to win thus pushing milwaukee down and causing that pick to go to you this year and the miami pick gets a little worse but you're also getting a whole other pick with that milwaukee pick last bit of news from today and i will apologize that everything we've talked about on the show here has been so disjointed on this memphis ownership story but a lot of the reporting has been contradictory or incomplete that sports business journal article seemed to have a lot of wrong stuff in it uh when it was they initially reported that the buy sell had brought in so zach lowe who is probably the most reliable person uh that you can look to reported today that kaplan and strauss owned about 30 percent of the franchise and that the valuation was closer to between 1.3 and 1.4 billion dollars and so kaplan and strauss went all out to jack up the valuation and to either get the team or to get paid and they are definitely going to get paid so that means that para is going to have to pay out between 390 and 420 million that is a lot of money to kaplan and strauss and one might suspect that that's part of why memphis is potentially going to keep jb bickerstaff rather than hiring a, a new replacement and you could also see them trying to reduce payroll because the next rumor of course is that para is then gonna with having consolidated the team is gonna try to sell the team and, and make some money off of this that's just what the thought is but we finally at least have some clarity on how much the valuation was i don't think the grizzlies are worth between 1.3 and 1.4 billion dollars this unique nature of the buy sell clause drove up the price i think in ways that we talked about before and paris put a lot of money into the team now if he's in fact going to buy these guys out and tim bontemps also contributing to the reporting noting that both kaplan and strauss are going to get bought out by para so all right that will do it for today danny will be back tomorrow we're going to talk about all these games and then thursday we will do our playoff series breakdown so lots of awesome content coming the the next couple of days hope you enjoyed this one uh i did not enjoy being without danny he's much better at this playoff scenario stuff than i am it took me like probably two and a half hours to break all this down for you and hopefully i got it right and, and it wasn't too confusing and uh, we'll talk to you all tomorrow night till then